hope you'll turn with me, find your bulletin insert that has uh, selected verses from the book of Nehemiah, uh, chapters 1, 2, and 6 printed upon it. I will read this, these verses for us, but certainly I hope you'll follow along in your bulletin or in your Bible. And hear now the word of God. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev in the twentieth year as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And on to chapter 2, And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I ask, for the good hand of my God was upon me. And now to chapter 6. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Lul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. A famous English-born pastor and writer, a man by the name of Frank Borum once said, when a wrong wants writing, or a work wants doing, or a truth wants preaching or a continent wants opening, God sends a baby into the world to do it. And we know the greatest example of that is the work of salvation. When more than 2,000 years ago, God sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into this world as a baby born in Bethlehem who grew up to be a man in Palestine and carry on a three-year public ministry and allowed Himself to be crucified on the cross for your sins and for my sins and for the sins of the whole world. 
And so often we see that happen with great people in history. Their meager beginnings give no indication of what they will accomplish in later life. Think of the year 1809 when thousands of babies were born, but many of those babies grew up to be such famous people and to accomplish so much. People like Elizabeth Barrett Browning, Chopin, Mendelssohn, Alfred Tennyson, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Abraham Lincoln, just to name a few. You know, God knew that this nation was going to need saving from itself. And so He sent a baby into the world named Abraham Lincoln to do that saving. Just like God knew that England and the rest of Western Europe would need saving from a terrible man by the name of Adolf Hitler. And he allowed a baby to be born in 1874 whose parents named him Winston, Winston Churchill, so that England and the rest of Western Europe might be free. In his famous speech to the House of Commons in 1940, Churchill said, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. You ask, what is our policy? I will say that it is to wage war with all of our might and with all of the strength that our God can give us. You ask, what is our aim? I answer in one word, victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. Now whether you liked Him or not, You can't argue with the fact that Churchill was one of the greatest leaders in a time of emergency that this world has ever seen. But today in our passage of Scripture, we're treated to a glimpse of another great leader, one who has given principles and examples to generations of leaders who, like Churchill, were faced with an almost insurmountable task. And that leader is none other than Nehemiah. And the great thing about Nehemiah is that not only is he a key figure in the restoration of Israel in world history, an Israel that would produce Jesus the Christ, but he gives us an excellent pattern for how you and I, day in and day out, can make a difference in the lives of people as we seek to do the work that God has called us to do through the various and abundant ministries in the life of this church. Now, if you've studied Nehemiah before, and I know there's a women's study on that book right now in this church, if you've studied Nehemiah before, one of the first things most people talk about is Nehemiah's emphasis on prayer. And that's very important, and it's a topic that we'll talk about in a few moments. But there's something we need to notice even before that. And it's right in chapter 1 in our text, verse 4, where we read, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. Even before prayer, 
we need to talk about the profound impact that this need has upon Nehemiah. When he hears about the state of affairs in Jerusalem, how these survivors are in trouble and shame, it it breaks his heart. He sits down and he begins to mourn for days, we're told, for people that he has never even met. And I just wonder, do you and I, do we have that kind of compassion? Do we have that kind of love that would make us sit down and weep and mourn for people in need that we've never even met? 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, what's the difference between the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan? Do you remember? Think about that story for a moment. We're told in that parable... Jesus says when the priest saw him, he passed by on the other side. He saw him, but he passed by on the other side. Likewise, when the Levites saw him, he passed by on the other side. They both were aware of the need. They both saw the man who had fallen among the thieves, but they didn't have enough compassion to stop and help him. But then Jesus says the Samaritan, when he saw him, He had compassion. You see, love makes the difference. The willingness to come alongside someone else in their time of need. This is the kind of person Nehemiah is. And I dare say that's the most important thing we can learn from him. To have a love and compassion for others in their time of need because that's what Jesus has done for you and me. He's had compassion and love. That's what God has done. He shows His love for us in that while we were yet sinners in our time of need, Christ died for us. You see, that's what this My Hope ministry in which we're participating is all about. You've seen Philip talk about these brochures. They're sitting all around the church All of you should have them. You should have them in your Bible with at least one or two names of people you know who are lost. You know, do we have enough compassion for that lost person in our life? Maybe they're in our family. Maybe they're a co-worker. Maybe they're a classmate of ours. Maybe they live down the street in our neighborhood. Do we, do we have enough compassion to bring them and their lost heart before God in prayer? And not just pray for them one time, but pray for them consistently. Billy Graham will tell you that's the most important part of the My Hope ministry. It's not those times when we'll get together in people's homes. It's it's not the invitations to the lost to come to those gatherings. It's prayer for those people who are lost. Prayer is the most important part 
of this ministry. And most likely any success that God gives us in it when we actually do this ministry later in November. Just like we see that prayer is a significant part of who Nehemiah is and his default mode of operation in life. He's obviously a man of prayer. If you read through this entire book, you can see at least ten times when he stops and prays. Did you notice in our text that we read? When all of a sudden the king asked him what was wrong with him, what did he do? He prayed before he told the king what was on his heart. And knowing him as the man of prayer that he is, I think it's safe to say that a great deal of time was spent in prayer by Nehemiah even before he ever came to Jerusalem to rebuild this wall. What do you think he was doing during those four months between when he first heard of the need and when he actually spoke to the king about what was on his heart? I believe he was in prayer over this matter day in and day out, just like we see Jesus in the Gospels consistently spending time in prayer. Those who are in ministry have to spend time in prayer. Otherwise, how is the power of the Holy Spirit empowering us to do the things that God has called us to do? And while conversing with God, Nehemiah obviously came up with a plan a plan for how he could help with this need. We can make that statement because of what we read in chapter 2 in our text. When he talked to the king about this concern, he was specific about how much time he would need, what kinds of royal support he would require, such as letters of conduct, purchase orders for timber, and how much time it would take to do all of this. Nehemiah already knew all of those things. He had been working on a plan as he was praying to God. God was giving him that plan, exactly what it would take to accomplish the ultimate goal. And it's the same way with us as a congregation when the session decided to have us undergo this process of revitalization. This process is actually a plan, a plan that involves a lot of prayer, thus the need for the eight prayer teams and the need for all of you to be involved in those prayer teams. But there's also a plan of progression in this process. We've already aligned perception of what the church is with the reality of what it is. You know, we all think a certain thing, but what is the church really like. We've already aligned perception and now we're in the process of aligning vision. That is to say, understanding the biblical purpose of the church and what God is calling us to do right now in this community, in this context, in the year 2013. Next, after aligning vision, we'll align strategy. We'll come up with how this vision is to be accomplished. Then we'll align structure, organization, how things operate. And then finally, we'll align people. In the midst of all of the prayer for revitalization, there is a plan. You see, we're following the pattern that Nehemiah lines out for us here in the way that he operates and lives. 
Now you just heard me say that the final segment of revitalization is that of aligning people. This is the deliberate and consistent practice of connecting people to the vision so that widespread participation occurs in all phases of church life, but especially and primarily with ministry, with making a difference in the lives of people and in this community. This practice of participation is also one of the keys to Nehemiah's success in getting this wall built in Jerusalem. We didn't have the time to read out all the chapters in this book, but if you go to the third chapter in the book of Nehemiah, you can see the names of 47 individuals and or groups, meaning there's more than 47 people, because some of the names are groups of people working on this wall in Jerusalem. And there are all kinds of different people. We see government officials mentioned. We see goldsmiths mentioned. We see priests. We see perfumers. We see men, and not just men, but we see women. In 312, we're told, Shalom, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. All kinds of people worked on this wall. Nehemiah had to have great participation for the wall to ever get finished. You have to understand that the first group of exiles had returned more than a hundred years before this. And granted, they were working on the temple, but, but the walls were still torn down. There were no gates. There was no security for anyone living in that area. Four generations of people had been there, and none of that had been accomplished. And you see, if we want to make a difference in the lives of people, we have to have your participation as well. One of the neat things we're doing in the church right now under the Just Joy umbrella of ministry is that we've added all American athletes, which is a a ministry for disabled children. And we are kicking off, no pun intended, a kickball season next Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock at Terza ARP's ball field. And we need your participation to make this happen because we hope to have 50 disabled children signed up for this. And we have some of our young people that are going to help and some of the people that are already involved in Just Joy Ministry, but we need at least... 50 people for 50 disabled children to be their special friends. And let me explain to you with an illustration why this is so important. When my daughter Rachel was in high school, she played on the soccer team for two years. And I remember going to those matches and watching as a parent. I I would sit sometimes with Hired Kellett because Ann Louise was playing then and and, and Johnny and Rhonda Logan because Catherine was playing then and I'm sure there, there were some other people playing back then that the, my feeble brain just isn't remembering right now. But my point is that as parents we were able to watch our kids play and it, and it was such a joy and so much fun most of the time. But when your child is disabled... You don't ever get to do that as a parent because you have to be involved with that child every moment of their lives. 
But if there is some ministry somewhere like all American athletes where there's a special friend for your child that will jog with them on the bases in a kickball game and keep them on base during their turn, then guess what? Those parents have a chance to just sit in the stands and watch their child and enjoy. Do you see that it's a ministry of service? And as we participate, we make a difference in that family's life. It's the same sort of participation. We see right here in Nehemiah where all kinds of people get involved in order to make something great happen. Of course, it wasn't easy. These Jews were trying to rebuild a wall using massive stones without heavy equipment. I don't know how they did it. They were trying to stay alive even as their enemies were threatening to do them harm. And they were trying to have food to eat for their families even though building this wall was taking their energy from practically every waking hour. And Nehemiah was trying to lead them through all of this and still be successful. He kept going. He wouldn't give in to discouragement. He wouldn't give in to the feeling that, you know, not much happened today. I can't tell that one difference was made on the wall. In other words, he showed great perseverance, which is what we must also do whenever we want to make a difference in someone else's life. There are great needs around us in this community in complex situations, whether we're talking about the disabled or whether we're talking about the loss to this community or whether we're talking about those in this community who have great physical needs. Maybe they're homeless. Maybe they can't afford their power bill or whatever it happens to be. There are great needs. We might not see results for years, and yet we have to persevere in the midst of them to run the race that's set before us, to carry out those good works that God has prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. We can't do everything for everyone, but we can make a difference in the lives of some people for their good and God's glory. That's why we're going to the trouble and expense of planning a daughter church, the River Crossing Church, who had their public launch service last Lord's Day with 52 people in attendance. The hope of a daughter church was part of our long-range plan for most of the last decade. We've hoped and we've prayed and we've saved money and we've went to the trouble of establishing a parenting church community with the Ebenezer and Terza ARP congregations. Now, now, why have we done that? I mean, are we planning a church just so that we can go on the floor of Presbytery and say, hey, look at these three churches. Look what we're trying to do for God's kingdom. That's not why we're doing it at all. We're planning a church so that we can make a difference in the lives of lost people, a difference that will go all the way into eternity because statistics tell us that lost people respond and are more likely to be in a new church before an established one. That's why it's important to plant new churches. And you know, if you look at it, the book of Nehemiah, 
That's what he was good at doing, making a difference in the lives of people over and over again. From this profound impact made upon him through the need of his people, through his praying, his plan, the participation of so many and their perseverance, we see something magnificent accomplished. That wall, we read, was finished in 52 days. In other words, something that had not been accomplished in more than a hundred years was completed in less than two months because of God's blessing upon His people and the leadership of Nehemiah. You know, we might not all have leadership skills, but we see the pattern right here in Nehemiah's actions of how to make a difference in someone else's life. As we have compassion for them in their time of need, as we pray for them, as God gives us a plan through that prayer time, as we find people to participate to help us in that need, and as we persevere, even when it looks like we're never going to make a difference in their lives. And if you think about it, that's exactly how the church operates, the church that Jesus gave birth to in Acts 2 through the gift of His Holy Spirit with its attention to need, its prayers, its plans, its calls for participation, and its perseverance in the midst of trials and evil so that the gospel might be proclaimed and lives changed forevermore. May God bless us and the River Crossing Church and the Ebenezer Congregation and the Terza Church and all these other churches in this community who preach the good news of Jesus Christ. May God bless us to that end and to His glory. Amen. Amen.